0: to shove and moved along. Jane turned back to the music, shutting her eyes to take it in. How often she had heard this very tune when she was growing up her grandmother's album spinning circles on the ancient phonograph in the room always referred to as the parlor. Most certainly it was not to be called the living room. They resided, after all, in the Rayburn house, one of the oldest houses and the largest in Troy, North Carolina. It was built in 1822 by her great-great-great-grandfather, Jedediah Rayburn, a forward-thinking entrepreneur who had made his fortune in textiles. With her eyes closed, she was a child again, curled up on the cushion in the window seat, listening to Debussy and staring through the beveled glass at her grandmother's garden in the side yard. Graham was out there now, on her knees, broad-brimmed sun hat hiding her face as she weeded the rows of freshly sprung tulips and budding delphinium. Laney Jackson was in the kitchen. Jane could hear the occasional banging of a pot or pan as Laney prepared dinner. Her father and mother were somewhere, but that didn't matter, so long as Graham and Laney were near. With them she was safe and very nearly happy. With them, she could move out from under the cloud that hovered permanently over her parents' lives. She didn't know why her mother and father lived in shadow, but she didn't want to linger there with them any longer than she had to. Young as she was, she preferred the company of Graham, who taught her to love music and poetry and art, and Laney, who personified quiet satisfaction as she went about her tasks in the kitchen. As she listened to the final strains of Claire de Lune, though, it was the voice of her mother that came back to her most clearly, breaking into the moment like the unwelcome twitch behind the eyes at the onset of a migraine. Honestly, Janie, you're such a dreamer. Come back to Earth and make yourself useful. How many times had she heard her mother say that? But she wasn't dreaming. Not now. Nor even when she was a child, gazing out the window at the yard. She was looking and listening, latching on to whatever passing beauty she might find, however briefly. A snatch of a symphony, the scent of lilac, the pale shimmer of the summer sun as it lay down at dusk on the green grass. All these were what gave her the courage simply to live. And at the moment, Courage was what she needed more than anything. Seth had told her not to come, but here she was. How could he expect her not to come, to just give up as though he'd died in that strange desert called Iraq? He hadn't died. He was still alive, and she still loved him. Nothing changed that. And so she had defied him, although he didn't know it yet. Seth didn't know she was here, listening to some unseen piano player and working up the nerve to ask him not to give up. Not on himself, and not on her. Jane opened her eyes and moved along the railing until the piano came into view. There it was, tucked up under the entryway where she'd been standing. A grand piano. It was shiny and sleek and and somehow out of place in the midst of all the walking wounded, the vets both young and old, many of whom looked weary and dazed and shell-shocked, long months and even years after their final days in battle. A tall young man was seated at the piano, his nimble fingers frolicking over the keys. Jane didn't recognize what he was playing now, something much livelier than Claire de Lune, Something her grandmother wouldn't have liked. Too common, Graham would have said. Something only the tone deaf would appreciate. But the musician played it with such vigor and joy, Jane couldn't help but smile. His face was turned away from her, but she could see the back of his blonde head, the width of his broad shoulders beneath his suit jacket. Though he was dressed like a businessman, he was no doubt a veteran, like most everyone else here. He had probably served over in Iraq, or maybe Afghanistan, though he had obviously returned home whole and